All right, the last few weeks, we have been in a series called Deadly. We have been looking at what the church historically kind of considers the seven deadly sins. We talked about pride. We talked about anger. A couple weeks ago, Scott tackled lust. Last week, Brian talked about gluttony. And today, we're going to talk about laziness. You might be thinking like, okay, hold on to my hat, like buckle in. Here we go. This is, this is tough. People getting into my business. And I know that this can be hard to talk about, these, these big buckets of sin that can get us kind of wrapped up in knots with each other and with God. So right at the outset, I want us to just remember the gospel. Remember the power and the truth that if you follow Jesus, he lived the perfect life that you could never live. His death paid the price for our sin, and his resurrection conquered sin and death and fear and Satan, all the things. He's already taken care of it. We stand here today forgiven and free. We do not have to be enslaved by these sins that we're talking about, but on this side of heaven, we're still struggling with them. They still creep back into our life and and get us kind of messed up right? The reality is justification happens the moment that we accept Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. We're made right with God. But sanctification, the process of becoming like Jesus, that's a lifelong process. And that's why it's important for us to talk about these big categories of sin so we can recognize it in our lives and grow in it and become more like Jesus. So let's just keep that in mind as we get started this morning, okay? Um, how many people have kids home on spring break right now? Show of hands. Yep, okay. How many people are looking forward to Monday when we go back to a normal routine, right? It's been great to have them home, but it's good to get back into a normal routine. Well, my kids have been home this week, and we planned a lot of fun things for spring break. One of the things that we had planned was a ski trip. We were going to go up skiing, but my youngest son, Owen, who also has a birthday today, he is seven years old, Happy birthday, buddy. He fractured two of his fingers a couple weeks ago, so skiing was off the table for Owen. So I said, you know what, buddy? We are going to have an epic mama date. We are, you get to pick. You say what we're going to do. The big kids are going to go skiing, and me and you are going to have an epic mama date. And Owen said, well, I want to go to the zoo. I said, great. So Tuesday morning, we sent the big kids off skiing, and Owen and I went out for breakfast. And then we're headed to the zoo, and we're sitting at breakfast, and I was thinking, gosh, I'm talking about sloths this weekend. I wonder if there's a sloth at the Denver Zoo. Now, keep in mind, my oldest daughter, she's almost 14, and we have had a zoo membership most of her life. So I've actually been to the zoo countless numbers of times, but I have never seen a sloth at the Denver Zoo. So I googled, is there a sloth at the Denver Zoo? And up popped some information, and lo and behold, yes. There is a sloth at the Denver Zoo. There's actually even a baby sloth at the Denver Zoo right now. But I've never seen it before. So I keep reading, and it says the sloth is housed in bird world. Okay, if you know me, I don't do birds. I don't like them. They're flappy wings, and they're skinny little legs, and they're creepy talons, and they're beady little eyes. They freak me out. So my poor kids, they didn't know bird world was a thing because we just don't go in there right? But Owen was so cute, and he was like, Mama, be brave. Like, I'll come with you. And so I was like, okay, we're doing it. We are going to find the sloth in Bird World. So we did. We, we braved Bird World. We found the sloth, and we're standing there, like, looking up. At, there was two of them up in, up in the trees in Bird World, but they're just, like, hairy lumps. Like, I couldn't even make out any distinguishable features. 
It wasn't moving. It didn't make any noise. So we were looking at it for a minute or so, and then I looked down at Owen, and I'm like, what do you think? And he was like, sloths are boring, mama. It's like, true. Sloths are boring. There's nothing captivating or engaging about a sloth. And laziness or slothfulness in our lives is the same way. There's nothing captivating or engaging about a life that is marked by slothfulness. And this matters because our God is so captivating and so engaging, and our lives should be a reflection of him. But when we have slothfulness in our hearts and in our lives, when that's what marks us, we're, we're not reflecting the wholeness and the goodness and the beauty of who Jesus is. So that's why we're going to talk about sloth this morning. Um, I want to start in Hebrews 12. This is verse 1 and 2, but before I read it, I want to remind us what comes right before. Chapter 11 of Hebrews is like the hall of fame of faith. It's this long list of men and women who have lived faithful, meaningful lives. And after the writer of Hebrews gives us this long list, he, he writes this. We're starting in verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. We each have a race to run. We each have a life that nobody else can live, that God has set before us. We can't get tripped up by laziness or slothfulness. Lots of times we use those words interchangeably. I'm going to use the word slothfulness throughout the rest of the message today because I think it just gives us a little bit bigger picture and deeper understanding. Laziness is certainly an aspect of sloth, but it's not the whole picture. So um, let's, let's get a definition that we have to work with as, as we continue today. The definition of sloth, sloth is this. It is a disinclination to action or labor. That's the laziness piece. Or it can also be defined as spiritual apathy or inactivity. That spans a little bit more territory, right? Sometimes we think about sloth as being a lack of desire, right? But in fact, sloth is actually a sin of desire. It's the desire to control our lives in some way outside of Jesus and outside of submitting control to God. It's a lack of appetite for God himself and for the things of God. So keep that definition in mind as we dig in today. I want to look at three different types of people whose lives might be marked by slothfulness, but they look a little bit different. All right, so the first one I'm going to call the sluggard. Now, the sluggard is maybe what you would typically think of when you think of like a lazy person. For me personally, I imagine like a teenage boy sleeps until noon, plays video games all day, he's got his Doritos and his Coke, right? Like doesn't want to get a job, can't show up to work on time. Typical laziness. This is how I think of the sluggard, okay? You can write this down. The sluggard displays sloth in his daily routines, and he becomes apathetic towards other people. It's really difficult for the sluggard to just do the task that's in front of him or in front of her. It's really difficult for them to just like dig in and do what needs to get done. The sluggard becomes apathetic towards others because they just can't be bothered to care, right? 
If you look in the Proverbs, this would actually be a really interesting study, I think, to go through and look at everything that the Proverbs have to say about the lazy person or the sluggard. We're going to look at just two this morning, but that might be something you want to go and spend some time doing yourself. Look at Proverbs 12:11 with me. It says, a hard worker has plenty of food, but a person who chases fantasies has no sense. That chases fantasies piece, this is like the person who's like, I'm going to make it big, like this get-rich-quick scheme that's not going to take a lot of effort or energy on my part. Like, I'm going to make it big. I'm going to upload videos of myself playing Fortnite. Who has kids playing Fortnite? You guys, Fortnite might be the end of me. <laughs> but I just saw an article about this, this 14-year-old boy in New York who is making like $200,000 a year uploading videos of himself playing Fortnite. And that's what the slugger does. The slugger goes, that's, how, that's what I'm going to do. Something that has no meaning, no purpose. I just want to make it big, right? Let's look at one more verse here. Uh, Proverbs 19.24 says, Lazy people take food in their hand, but don't even lift it to their mouth. The slugger can't just do the daily task, the feeding himself, showing up to work, mowing the lawn, because he's just too lazy, or she is just too lazy. Now, for me personally, there's certainly times that I can look back in my life and I can see where I've maybe had a season of this type of slothfulness. But in large part, this isn't where I identify with. And you might be thinking, well, I'm not lazy. I work really hard. I get up early in the morning. I do the things that I have to do. I'm not lazy. I don't, this isn't me. But just wait, because there's still two more types of sloth that we're going to look at, okay? All right, the second type of sloth. This one I'm going to call the workaholic. Now, you might be thinking, the workaholic? Workaholic can't be lazy, right? By definition, a workaholic is a hard worker. And that's true, but that's why we're going to talk about slothfulness and not just laziness. Because the workaholic can be slothful when their work, their labor, is for selfish gain is all about their own personal achievements and accolades. That's where the slothfulness of the workaholic can be seen. You can write this down. The workaholic displays sloth in his global mission and becomes apathetic towards the church. His global mission is where he displays sloth or she displays sloth. Because the workaholic is so focused on their own Thing, whatever that is, the next promotion, making it big in the athletic world. Maybe it's an intellectual pursuit, trying to you know, publish the most intellectual papers. It might even be spiritual. You know, you see people who have, oh, look at their following, look how many books that preacher or teacher has published. There is a place in our world especially, I think in Western American culture, where we elevate this. We look at success and we're like, that's it. Like that, that guy, that girl deserves to be praised. And please don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that success in and of itself is a bad thing. In fact, that might be exactly where God wants you to be. But when your motivation and your reason for doing the things that you do is based in a selfish ambition and selfish desire, then you know that slothfulness is reigning in your life. I want to look at two verses. And this first one is really interesting. It's out of Ecclesiastes. And what Solomon does is he almost sets up like a, a continuum of some kind. He talks about the, the sluggard on one end, and on the other side, he talks about the workaholic, but they're both on the same continuum 
of slothfulness looks very different, but the underlying motivation is still the same. Listen to these verses. This is um, Ecclesiastes 4, 4 through 6. Then I observed that most people are motivated to success because they envy their neighbors. But this, too, is meaningless, like chasing the wind. Okay, here it comes. Fools fold their idle hands, leading them to ruin. That's the sluggard. And yet, better to have one handful with quietness than two handfuls with hard work and chasing the wind. So what he's saying is that, on the one hand, yeah, we don't want to fold our hands in idleness, but there is a type of workaholic who is just chasing the wind, and it's meaningless. They have more, but their life is lacking the quietness and the purposefulness that God desires for us. I think if, this, if you at all see yourself in this, and I certainly can relate more with this than with the sluggard, it's important to ask the question, who, at what cost is your workaholism working out in your life? Who is paying the price for it? It's very likely your spouse, your children, your church. Earlier in the notes there, it says that the workaholic becomes apathetic towards the church because you don't have time to look around, to serve and love the people that God has placed in your life in the place that he has put you when you're so focused on your own personal achievements. All right, there's one more type of slothful person that I want us to talk about this morning, and I'm going to call this one the zombie. Now, the zombie might have a really full schedule. They might be busy. So similar to the workaholic, you wouldn't maybe look at this person and go, oh, they're lazy. That's a lazy person because their schedule is full. But the thing is, they're not fully present. They're not fully engaged in their life. They're just kind of trying to tread water, keep their head above the waterline, just go, 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 go to the next thing, right? You can write this on your notes. The zombie displays sloth in his enchantment with God and becomes apathetic towards God and towards other people. The zombie is slothful in his enchantment with God because the zombie is just trying to get through their to-do list, right? They're just like, work until the weekend, just trying to get to that end of the day where they can sit down on the couch with the remote or get up to the mountains to go fishing or whatever it is that brings a little bit of distraction, a little bit of relaxation. This, of all three types of slothfulness that we're talking about, this is the one that I most identify with. And you guys, getting ready for this message, I was cut to the core with this specifically. I want to read you a quote that I came across as I was preparing. This, there's a man named Tony Ranke who teaches, and um, I think he has a couple of books. But he said something that I read it, and I almost started crying. Listen to this. It says, the most common species of slothfulness is lazy busy, a full schedule endured in a spiritual haze, begrudging interruption, resenting needy people, driven by a craving for the next comfort. I read that and I was like, guilty. Like, I am so guilty of living that way. Just a couple of this probably happened within the last two months. I'm just going to be really honest with you guys. I have four kids, and one of my kiddos was having just a bad morning. We just had a bad morning. And I was trying to get to school to do the school drop-off because I had a, a full day packed. I had my own things to do, my own to-do list that I wanted to get done. And the first thing that was on my list was going to Pilates with Danielle Woodyard. She's my Pilates instructor. That's where I was headed on this Wednesday morning. 
But we were having a bad day, right? I pull up to the school drop-off lane and say, saying goodbye to the kids, and this one kiddo would not get out of the car. <laughs> she wouldn't get out, and she was having just a bad morning. She was upset, she was crying, and so I like drove back home, and I'm just fuming because I'm gonna miss my Pilates class, and I don't have time to go to a Pilates class later because my schedule is full. So we get home, and she's just upset, and I am not being patient. I'm not seeing her hurting heart that's dealing with some anxiety and needs her mama to see her, to pray for her, to listen to her, and I didn't because of this right here, because I was living like a zombie. I was just, I had my to-do list. I had things to get done that day, and this was not in the plan. I don't want that to be my legacy. I don't want to live my life that way where I'm just going through the motions Listen to this verse out of Romans 12. This is verse 10 and 11. It says, Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. It's very difficult for us to love each other with genuine affection. It's very difficult for us to honor each other when we don't even see each other, when we don't even see the stories and the lives that God has placed around us because we're just not fully present. We're just not fully awake in our own life. One more verse, Luke 21, verse 34. Jesus is, is talking about when he comes back. He's talking about end times, and he's telling us to be ready. Listen to what he says. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness, and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. I don't want my heart to be weighed down with the cares of this life. And that's what happens when slothfulness is ruling, especially as in this particular way, in the, in the zombie, right? We're just so consumed with what's on our own plate. We're just going, 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 and there's no room. There's no room for God, and there's no room for others. All three types of these slothful people, the sluggard, the workaholic, and the zombie, all three of them need a robust and biblical understanding of work and of rest. We could spend a whole series talking about these two things, but I just want to touch on a couple things um, this morning. First of all, the having a good theology of work is really important. A lot of times I think we think about work like, this drudgery that we have to get through, like it's, it's just part of the curse of sin, right? That's how we think about work. And it's true that the frustration and the toil that we experience is the way that sin has twisted our world and infestered into, into work and the way that we work. But if you look at Genesis, if you go back to the first couple of chapters of the Bible, in Genesis 1, we have the account of creation, right? Genesis 3, what happens? The fall, right? We have the account of the fall. In Genesis 2, in verse 15, it says, The Lord placed the man in the garden to work it and to care for it. This was before sin entered the world. Work is part, meaningful work is part of what it means to be human, to be a reflection of God. So we need to redeem the way that we think about work. The zombie, the sluggard, the workaholic, they all need that. They all need to understand work in this redeemed way. All of our work 
matters. It's so easy to like separate it out and be like, well, that's just, you know, something I have to get through or it's not, that's not really where God uses me. That's not where my gifts are. But when we think about work the right way, it's all holy. It's all, it all matters. All of our work should be done to the glory of God and for the good of other people. And when we approach our work that way, it changes the way we think about it. It changes the way we do it. All types of thoughtful people need to understand that. And then the second thing that we need to understand is we need to understand what actual biblical rest looks like. We need to understand what Sabbath rest looks like. One of the things that our family has decided to do this year is to really be committed to taking a Sabbath day. And this is hard, you guys. This is like a real discipline. We're not, we're not great at it. We still have days that we actually really mess it up. And when I'm talking about rest, I'm not talking about like scrolling through your phone or mindlessly watching whatever's on the television. I'm talking about real biblical rest that is restorative, that connects you with God and with other people. This is really a discipline. This doesn't come naturally to us. It's hard to stop. It's hard to put work away. It's hard to engage in activities that really feed your soul, but it's so important for us to do. You know, Sabbath rest actually gives us purpose. It helps us to prioritize. It helps us to see how we can spend our life for maximum impact, maximum joy. It's really important. The other thing that we need to understand when we're talking about rest for the slothful person, you might think the slothful person doesn't need rest, but they really do. They need to understand rest rightly. We need to understand the principle of margin, the principle of margin. If you go back and you read Leviticus, if you're tired, don't read Leviticus because you will fall asleep. But Leviticus is actually a, it's kind of God's instruction to his people saying like, this is how I want you to live. This is how I want you to set up your society so that you are different from the people who live around you. And in Leviticus 23, he says something very interesting. He tells his people, don't harvest to the edge of your fields. Don't harvest to the edge. Leave a margin so that the foreigner and the widow and the person who maybe doesn't have their own land to cultivate and to eat from can come and eat. It was very practical for the Israelites, but the principle of margin is for us today. We cannot harvest to the edge of our fields. We cannot fill up our schedules so much that there's no room for a kid who needs a little bit of extra love on a morning that went badly. We can't fill up our schedule so much that we don't have the time to sit and listen when somebody wants to tell us their story. We can't have no margin in our finances because then how can we meet needs for the people that God, bring, God brings into our lives? The principle of margin is something that the slothful person needs to put into place in their life in order to defeat slothfulness. Okay, so we've identified these three different areas in our life where slothfulness might kind of sneak in, and hopefully you, have, you see where you might be prone to slothfulness. So what are we going to do? What are we going to do about it? How are we going to break free? I'm going to give you three practical points. First of all, practice seeing every part of your daily life as worship to God. What does your nine-to-five look like? Tomorrow morning, Monday morning, we're all going to get up, and we're all doing work of some kind, whether it's in your own home, maybe you're going to an office or a construction site, whatever your nine-to-five looks like. Commit to practicing it, practicing it as worship to God. It changes the way you go about it. 
Listen to Colossians 3. This is verse 23 and 24. It says, work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and that the master you are serving is Christ. What if tomorrow morning you commit to reading this verse before you do anything else, and commit to saying, Lord, today I'm going to work willingly at whatever it is that's in front of me. As I've been preparing over the past couple of weeks for this, this, this verse and this particular practice has really been on my mind, and it's blown me away. The way that it changes, I go about the way that I go about things that really are kind of mundane and boring, even things for me like getting the laundry done and making a meal plan and setting up a new um, thing for one of my clients, training a new agent coming onto my team, things that maybe don't sound exciting in and of themselves, but when we go about it, saying, you know what, this is worship unto God. I'm going to work willingly at this because it honors God. It changes everything. Try it. Try it tomorrow morning. Next thing, prioritize people over selfish gains, creature comforts, or personal agendas. Now, this might sound really obvious. You might be thinking, well, I know, I know, of course, we're supposed to love God and love people, right? But this is hard to do. The next time you get the offer of a new job or a promotion, the next time you want to join maybe a sports league or take a pottery class or plan a girls' weekend or run a race, ask yourself, am I prioritizing people over selfish gains, creature comforts, or my personal agenda? Does saying yes to this thing inhibit my ability to love people well? Again, please don't hear me saying something I'm not saying. It might be that taking that promotion or planning that girls' weekend or taking that pottery class is the exact thing that God is calling you to do. But ask him first. Spend some time looking at your schedule and your life and saying, God, I want to prioritize people over these things that are selfish in me. Because sometimes God might say, you know what, I need you to say no to that. I need you to walk away from that. And that is very difficult to do. Look at Philippians 2, verse 3 and 4 with me. It says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Don't look out only for your own interests. Don't only be about you, but take an interest in others too. Prioritize people. And then thirdly, position yourself in the center of God's grace. What I mean by that is remind yourself every day of who he is, marinate in God's promises. Spend time in his presence. Position yourself so that you are experiencing the new mercies of God every single day. It's very difficult for us to live out of a slothful heart when we are preoccupied with Jesus. There is a section of scripture in Colossians that I absolutely love because it magnifies the supremacy of Jesus. Just listen to these verses as I read them. This is Colossians 1, 15 through 20. It says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. 
He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. What beautiful, beautiful scriptures for us to meditate on. When Jesus reigns supreme in our heart, slothfulness doesn't have room to grow. When our focus is on him and on enjoying his presence, believing his promises, and living out his purposes for us, slothfulness is really just pushed out. There's not room for it to grow in our lives. I want that to be true of me. The verses that we started with in Hebrews said that we each have a race to run. Your life matters. Your presence in this world matters. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is out of uh, Ephesians 2.10, and it says that there's good works that Jesus has for us to do that God prepared in advance for us to walk in. I don't want to miss it. I want to run the race that God has set out for me with such focus and with such passion that at the end of my life, I can, can see the face of Jesus and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That is what I want for my life. And the, the thing about sloth that I just hate is it steals that from us. It steals joy from us. It steals purpose from us. It takes our focus in our life and it just dulls it down, makes us lose momentum. It's, it's a liar. It doesn't deliver on the promises that it gives us. There's a great quote from C.S. Lewis that I want to read to you. It says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. You guys, let's stop being so easily pleased. Let's believe Jesus. In John 10, 10, he says, I have come to give you life and to give you life in abundance. God promises a full life. Jesus has such a full life for us to step into. But when slothfulness is ruling in our hearts and in our lives, we miss it. We miss out on the goodness of God. I don't want to miss out, and I don't want you to miss out. I want to take a moment before we move off into our week and head out into the rest of our day to reflect and to respond to Jesus. Take a look at your notes. Take just a minute and look at those three different areas where slothfulness might be rearing its ugly head in your life. I'm just going to be quiet for a moment and let you look and think and maybe jot down an area where God is pressing on your heart this morning.
want us to respond in faith this morning. Jesus invites us to step into the fullness of life that he offers us. So whatever you wrote down, whatever it is that God has been convicting you about this morning, whether it's laziness in your daily routine, or maybe you're working for the wrong reasons, working too long and too hard, or maybe you're just not showing up for your life, whatever it is, we're gonna respond in faith this morning and say, God, I'm gonna step into the fullness of life you invite me to. I wanna make changes. I'm gonna tell somebody what I'm struggling with. I'm gonna ask somebody to pray with me. I'm gonna ask our leadership team to just come up front here in just a moment, and the worship team is going to lead us in another song. And I don't want you to leave this morning with unfinished business. I don't want you to leave without taking an opportunity to receive prayer and encouragement from your church family. Committing together, all of us have areas in our life where we're not experiencing the fullness of God. All of us have it. Let's just confess that to each other today. Let's pray for each other today. And let's walk out of here committed to starting our Monday morning a little bit differently, to showing up for our life and seeing what God does. As our leadership team makes their way up front, I'm gonna pray. Father God, thank you for the captivating love that you give us. Thank you for the way that you make meaning out of our life, out of the mundane things in our life. God, this morning, if we're experiencing conviction or regret, I pray that we would just lay it before you. God, that we would believe your promise of full life that we would trust you to take this one precious life that you've given us and use it for your glory. God, let us spend our lives advancing the kingdom and experiencing your love every single day in every single circumstance and situation. God, you are faithful to complete the good work that you have begun in each of us. And we cling to that promise this morning. Thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.